Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hey, I'm Scott Pipe. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. For sure, I think if I get to drive more and more and more, uh, for sure, you know, I'm going to feel more comfortable. I nearly told him to calm down in the end. I'm like, mate, you're making me stressed. I'm stressed enough as is. In 2014, Chaz Mostert and Paul Morris won Bathurst. The race finished at almost 6.30 and 5.2 million people were watching at the end of that race. So a quarter of the Australian population watched Chaz win that race. That's a pretty you know, compelling figure to, to drop on anybody. <laughs> From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. And good evening and welcome again to Inside Supercars with Craig Ravel and Tony Wittock. Good evening, Tony. What another great week it is with Tassie. One of, actually, it's. I'll, I'll tell you, it's one of my favourite events of the year. This race uh, up on the hill. I you normally watch the uh, races when I'm there uh, with Lewis Isaacs, who's now at Supercars.com, and we get a vegetarian pizza because he is and I'm not, and we enjoy the Saturday race there. And it's a fantastic track to watch racing at. And being so short, it's always so exciting. Yes, indeed. And, and one of the great things is with only six corners, you have to get every one of them right. Mess up one and the next one's messed up and so on and so on. So it is fascinating. Just having a look back at the agenda for this week, and one of the things, of course, is the postscript on the AGP being so recently that a number of cars had to be repaired. That's the Nick Burkett BJR car and, of course, Holdsworth car, which uh, the number eight BJR Commodore ran into. Both have been repaired. The trucks will be on the, already on their way there. Uh, I think they get there. No, they will be there already today. And uh, after those ones were repaired, we, of course, had the problem with the uh, Percat car of the left front caliper failure in some way, shape or form. When we find out, we'll let you know. That's our listeners. Secondly, we've just uh, heard today that the uh, 12-hour date for 2018 has been set. The same first week in February, which is... As again, I'm sure that you would have enjoyed a fantastic event to attend. Yes, it is. It's uh, up there with the in the top three for me, which is the 12-hour Clipsal and the 1,000. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And as we mentioned, we've got the Simmons Plains coming up, which is terrific because we're going to be having today on the show Rick Kelly, who is the qualifying record holder. I think it's a 51-4, something like that, is the record from 09. So it's be interesting to ask him what it was that made him uh, able to, to create that record back then and how much does he think it'll be cut with the new soft tyre down there, or the super soft tyre. Um, and, of course, joining Rick today also will be Scott Pye, only uh, three race meetings in or two race meetings into his career now with uh, Walkinshaw or HSV Mobile One. It'll be interesting to get his perspective on uh, how his year's going. So... After the break, we'll come back and talk to them. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page. And to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as BS Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian Times since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. 
Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm David Reynolds. And you're listening to Inside Supercars. And welcome. This afternoon, we have Rick Kelly from Kelly Motorsport, Mr. Motorsport, and Scott Pye from Walkinshaw Racing, HSB Mobile One Racing. There's a mouthful in all of that. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thanks very much. Wonderful to have you both here. Now, Rick, maybe we'll just start with you talking about this year, talking about the cars, because I know that's what you're really interested in, not stickers or sponsorship, but the cars. Are you satisfied with how the progress on this year's car and the setup you've got? Well, we haven't rolled out this year with a completely new car um, by any stretch of the imagination, which is, I think, pretty good considering the tyre. I mean, you know, there's so much talk about the tyre in the early parts of this year and late last year, and um, there's rumours a lot of teams built new uprights to the front and all sorts of bits and pieces, and we, I guess, focused on what we thought the tyre would do based off the data we were given and tuned what we had around that, and I think it worked pretty well for us. We certainly come out reasonably strong at the test, although not everyone ran the tyre. Um, and then, you know, the first couple of days at Clips as well. So I think that we're going um, reasonably well. It's more so, rather than revolutionising the car that you've got, is getting the most out of it. It's, it's such a, a tight field now. And, like, even at Grand Prix with the four qualifying sessions back-to-back, you know, and a couple of them were in the 10, and, and the others in nearly only just in the top 20 through... Um, you know, not quite getting it right or, you know, cloud cover coming over or one set of tyres being in the sun before they go in the car or not. And there's so many of those little variables now that actually have a really big impact on the on the result because it is so tight. So that's something I think we'll definitely see this weekend at, at Tassie. It is one of those things, of course, that when we talk about performance, people sort of think, oh, yes, the car performance. No, because it's the whole team performance, isn't it? It's just everything. Which brings me to, Scott, life in Walkinshaw land, another new place for you to live? Yeah, yeah it is. It's, uh, I mean, it's only uh, my third team in the main series, and uh, I'm certainly very happy here. Yeah. Um, and the cars, I mean, it's, again, adapting to a, not only another make, of course, but also another model of car. Yeah, exactly. It's um, it has been a big change. I mean, aesthetically for the fans, I mean, the cars will look very similar, but they are really different to drive. And uh, yeah, I mean, we're making good progress. The Grand Prix was a good weekend for for me. We uh, had some dramas in qualifying, but by the end of the weekend, we uh, we sort of were back inside the top ten, which was good. And um, running around with James, which is always good. So you know, we, we're going to Tasmania now with. Uh, with, with some big goals that we want to kick. I mean, the team there struggled last year uh, with, with Garth and James. So heading back now, it'll be, a, a, you know, it's it's a point for... It's a time for everyone to, to really prove what, what they've uh, done in the last part of last year in, in improving the package. And, and hopefully, you know, we roll out of Tasmania much stronger than they were last year and, uh, and we're, we're inside that top ten again. Yes, indeed. Looking at that performance package, uh, Rick... George Commons, I remember when he joined you, and I've known him before he joined Larco. Um, when he joined you, you were full of rapture in, in suddenly having this engineer who, who brought Formula One thinking to things. And What is it that he brings to the table for you? I think it's just very relevant to the car that we've got now. It's very much... Engineering the car is things very much like driving, and if you drive the car as you did 10 or 15 years ago, you're going to be up the, you know, up the back of the field because it progresses very, very quickly being such a competitive sport. I think the engineering side of that is, is very much similar. Like if you use the engineering sheets and setup sheets you used from a couple of years ago, again, they're out they're outdated. So setup of the car and understanding it is very much based around simulation now and um, 
and, and obviously software more more than more than hardware. So um, I think George is very very good at that, and and more than anything, you know, I, I think I've had great engineers in the past. There's no doubt about that. But you've got to have something that's fresh and motivates you to to do a good job as a driver, and also that very important connection between the driver and engineer. And so I think we've got that now. Um, and again. I've had some great engineers in the past, but it's a chance for me to learn off someone new and also have them get the most out of me, which is important because most engineers that try and engineer my car now don't really critique the driving of mine because I've been in it for so long. And I think that's a bad thing. I think it's very good for the engineer to come along and say, hey, I think you need to look in these areas because you could, you could improve. And everyone has to improve, including myself, and George is very good at providing that feedback to me as well. Right. Scott? And of course, I mean, Scott, you, you're in the situation of having a, a new engineer because you're in a new team, and someone who has also that international experience. You know, Alex? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it, it's Some been a, really since, since I came into the championship, it's been tricky because I've, I've had a different engineer almost every year, I think, and that does certainly make it tough. You know, the, the engineer driver relationship is such an important part of our sport and, uh, and making sure that. You know, we obviously, as drivers, we come in pretty heated sometimes, and, and uh, you know, an engineer needs to understand when's the right time to sort of get the information out of a driver, and when when, uh, when we're going to be calm enough to be talking, you know, talking sense, so to speak. And you know, with Alex, it's a, a good opportunity now. He's uh, he's going to be engineering me going forward um, for my, you know, hopefully my entire time at Walkinshaw. So it's it's exciting for me to finally have an engineer now that we can. Um, build a relationship with and, and get a good understanding of each other and, and certainly Alex with drivers in the past as well has had you know one year really to work with each of them and I mean he's had uh, in the last three years I think three different drivers so he's excited about an opportunity to work with a driver going forward as well and um, you know, I think that, that you know what he's done with the car and the package after coming in last year um, to try and help the team is, uh, you know, has, has been pretty impressive so excited to be working with him like you said he's done a lot in, in Europe as well um, and, and it is a small world. There's been a bunch of people that have have worked with him that I've worked with, and um, you know, for us, the relationship's good. You know, it's, it's uh, like I said, the, the best thing for me going forward is to keep the same guy um, sitting beside me and uh, and build those relationships going forward. Do you feel that your driving is still improving? Do you feel you're still learning this game, Scott? Oh, like Rick just said, we're always learning and. Um, I think that the moment you stop looking at yourself is the moment you start going backwards in this field. It's too competitive. You know, I'm sure Jamie's won six championships now, and I'm sure every every time he goes on track, he's critiquing what he's doing when he gets in the pit. So, for us, we always have to look at uh, what either what a teammates doing, what someone else in pit lane is doing. You got to, you know, you've really got to work on every part of your game and um, and practice because you can't stand still. It is way too competitive now and, um, and we never stop learning so that's the important thing for me is uh, you know coming into a new team as well there's some, some new ideas I'm bringing into a team that's had the same driver lineup for a long time but for me it's a good opportunity to learn uh, you know a new way of doing things like Rick said with a new engineer and stuff like that there's always things you can learn and, and Alex is good as well at, at going through uh, what the driver's doing and um, and trying to help help my driving as well uh, those of you have got new teammates this year, but Rick, in fact, has got one that's different to anybody else in Simona. Um, quite, quite different, and, and it must be uh, well enjoyable having somebody who's internationally proven herself um, to come in. And what does she bring to the team? Um, well, uh, firstly, you know, we went through a pretty intense 
I guess, interview process from both sides of the party to make sure she was comfortable with, with having um, us as a team in Australia and, and us having uh, Simona as a driver. And we're very lucky to have um, the opportunity to, I guess, almost test her in, a, in, in the Bathurst 1000 last year. So what we saw from that, I guess, was um, something quite impressive from a driver's point of view, but more so how she approached the entire weekend. Um, obviously, there's a lot of hope around Simona. It just didn't seem to, to phase her at all, even though it's such a big weekend. It's still able to focus on driving the car and, and not, not having all the extensive amount of other commitments affect that. And um, so I guess that's what attracted us to, to have her within our team. And this year as well, the way she's gone about it, she's been signed up as a full-time driver. She's come over from um, her home country, Switzerland, and now uh, living here. And um, has just has got 110% commitment to it, which has been really good to watch. And from a performance point of view, it's always exciting for anyone to look into um, our team and or any team and any new, any new driver and see how they're going to go and how long it will take them to come up to to speed. And for us, it's it's just been as exciting as an outsider to see how she's pr- progressing. And um, it's actually quite impressive when you look at her data spread now compared to myself, Todd, or Michael Caruso, it's um, it's pretty impressive how close she is already. There'll be, like at the Grand Prix circuit, there'll be a couple of corners where she might lose a tenth or two, and then the rest of the lap, the time's actually the same as what we're doing. So it's quite interesting. I don't think there'll be too, too many more races until we're starting to look over her shoulder and seeing her, her come plowing past us. Well, that's fantastic, Rick. You know, it's just wonderful to get the insights into your world, and particularly somebody with a four-car team. It's just amazing. And Scott will be back to talking after this break. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we're able to beat the two level two the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. And welcome back. Here we have uh, Rick Kelly and Scott Pye here to discuss not only the insurance of the Simmons Plains, but of course the start of their year. Now, Scott, uh, obviously Simone is an open wheel driver. You spent a fair bit of time over in Europe. Can you talk to us about your years over there and how hard was it to have to make the decision to come home? Yeah, it's it's funny now being teamed up with James because uh, really, you know, he he was one of the guys that paved the way for for young Australians um, to go over. And, and I guess I, I sort of followed what he did that path with, uh, you know, I wanted to do karting over there initially, uh, but I had some, some things happen here with my road car accident and a few others, and that never happened. So the first opportunity I got to go to Europe was in 2009 and uh, did the Formula Ford Festival. Then the following year we did the Formula Ford Championship. And uh, and then getting the support from Mercedes was a, a big thing. That, that allowed me to stay in Europe and... and uh, get to British Formula 3 and the goal was always from a really young age to try and try and get to Formula 1 but 
guess for a lot of guys, the, the decision to come home is kind of out of your hands. You know, it's it's such a, lot, a big budget and it is very difficult to find. And uh, for me, you know, I, I weighed up the options of, of what I had over there, what I was looking at doing the following year. And, and to be honest, I never had the full budget going forward. So I knew what it, whatever it was I was going to do was probably going to be limited, whether it's in testing or, or ties or whatever else. So, you know, to be competitive over there, you've got to have the biggest budget and uh, and that wasn't going to happen so for me I had a really good opportunity to come back here to Australia with with Triple Eight in the, the monster car and um, you know it was a, a, a no-brainer really it was something that I couldn't I couldn't pass up because it was something that I didn't know if it was going to be there in the future and uh, at the time like I said the decision was kind of taken out of my hands with not having the budget to go forward so you know Mercedes were really good they understood that and released me from the contract um, and uh, and I came back to Australia and the rest is history, I guess. But, you know, for me, Formula 1 was certainly the goal. Um, and, uh, you know, I admire a lot of the guys that have, have made it there. Uh, it is a tough road, um, but it's just a, a very expensive one as well. Um, you know, obviously not saying that supercars is cheap, but I think for, for the drivers here in Australia that, that are at a, at a standard, it's, it, there are good opportunities for us here. And, uh, you know, we are probably one of the most competitive championships in the world. So I definitely didn't... Um, look down at this it was always something that Formula 1 was a goal but I knew supercars you know I'd watched it growing up and it was something that I wanted to do as well so yeah the opportunity came up and I took it. Like Simona's doing now you're having to take all that open wheel experience and knowledge and then changing it to something very different so I guess you're in the best position to say how hard it would be for Simona to to switch off open wheels and go to you know full-bodied cars. Yeah, I think what Simone is doing is really impressive, and I think that you know, for, for girls coming in the sport, um, you know, can can go either way because it's very difficult to break in. But you know, she's she's um, doing them proud, I guess. I think it, it shows. Hopefully, it gives other girls in the future hope as well that you know they they can do what she's doing. And and I think that you know, I was uh, one race, I think she was thirteenth or something at, at the Grand Prix, and um, you know, to be doing that already is, is is a good sign. And you know, like Rick said, I'm sure it won't be too long, and she'll be up there, and she's done done plenty of other things and had success so i'm sure i'm sure she'll get there and it is like i said good for girls but uh it's difficult coming from open wheelers you drive cars with lots of downforce loads of grip and generally they're they're underpowered for how much grip they have and and we've got a car that's got a bunch of horsepower and and it is low grip um so it's complete opposite and you know coming from formula three for me it was something that's really over gripped and low low on power so it is a difficult transition yeah, she's driven indycar and thing and i'm sure this is just a different beast and it's uh it's probably not too too shocking though. I think IndyCar is a pretty brutal thing, but yeah, she seems to be doing a really good job. For both of you, knowing that you know the, the category is evolving more, and we're going to uh, V6s and, and turbos and things like that, is there anything that fundamentally is wrong in the cars now? I mean, we went to an independent rear end, we went to an Albans transaxle, those things. I mean, are, are we still heading in the right direction with the cars? Well, I, I guess I guess that's anyone's opinion. Yeah, yeah. Progress in a sport like this, make it more relevant to the automotive industry, which is very critical. And there's people that say that's a great thing because we can turn up and support, you know, something that's a little similar, more similar to what they drive on the road. And then you've got the old older folks who are set in their ways who say, I'm not going to watch it anymore because it's not like it used to be. But it's like I think it's like anything. If you stand still, then it will it will eventually die you know so it's, it's important that, that that as a category we continue to move forward and we can't have v8s forever 
um, just to, just solely solely V8s. As much as I love going to the workshop and working on them and working on engines that that are, have a carby sitting on top of them, you know, again, you've got to move you've got to move forward at some point. And I think everyone is is trying to do that. I mean, 2017 was the year where you could run V6s. No one's done it yet because it has to be aligned with the manufacturer and their and their desire to, and also their contribution from a funding point of view as well. But certainly next year it will head that way and. For me, I guess it's not a matter of sitting there and saying it's the right thing the category is doing or the wrong thing, but more so how can we adapt to it quicker than others and, and try and win races before they do. Is, is I guess that's, that's our job and our thinking. Well, you're certainly in the right place with having Nissan as your major uh, manufacturer involved and one of the two major manufacturers there. Scott, your, your idea on the cars? Have you got any thoughts? No, I think, well, I think Rick's pretty well covered it. He's uh, obviously well involved as well, so... Yeah, I think the category does need to, to keep changing and evolving and move forward. So, uh, yeah, I'm not. I mean, the last last gen car has been been good for me. Probably more suited to what I was doing, and I've enjoyed driving the cars. And you know, it's going to be different. And, and like Rick said, from the point of view as a, from the driver's point of view, it's uh, obviously our goal just to try and try and adapt to whatever those changes are better than everyone else. And um, and as a team, they need to do the same. And hopefully. You come out on top. Um, as long as we're winning as drivers, then, then we're going to be happy. So, Scott, what's a pass mark for you in 2017? Uh, I don't know, really. I haven't. I don't really set too many goals or anything like that. I think that every weekend you take it as it comes, and uh, you know, we want to run inside in the top ten consistently, uh, and uh, I want to win a race. So, you know, I want to. Once you get that first one. I think that then, then they come a lot easier. And, uh, you know, we, we had a few close calls last year, but, you know, obviously a new team, new challenges. So we are uh, keeping over mind. And, um, you know, we want to be running at the front. At the end of the year, you need to be there consistently. And then uh, and then next year, be a real championship contender. That would be, for me, uh, the overall goal, you know, rather than uh, passes and fails. I think that if you're at the front at the end of the year and, and doing that consistently, then we can expect to really, you know, pass next year with a, a championship contending year. And you, Rick? Um, it's, yeah, it's always a difficult question. I think that um, for me, the, the trajectory of our teams on development-wise is very strong, but nevertheless, right now, we don't have the strongest package out there. I think there's a number of other teams who have got very good engine and very good handling. So for me, um, I think it's an unfair expectation to say we want to beat them every weekend, but we want to have the, the best car moving forward. But for me personally, I want to make sure I get the absolute most out of it at every opportunity. I think I didn't managed to do that with myself and George last year. I think Michael Caruso, my teammate, definitely definitely did most of the time. So if I can get to the end of the year and say that we got the most out of that opportunity that was in front of us, then there's not much more that I think we could ask for. And I imagine for both of you in your teams, I mean, obviously, uh, uh, Mobile One HSV is going through a rebuilding phase. And, of course, you, Rick, with uh, three other cars and the team, I mean, they're both... Moulding projects, they're just evolving and changing all the time. But what do you think would be a, a, a pass mark for the team, Rick? Well, we have to be competitive and be a threat at every race we go to. But I, I guess it's, it's part of life. But everyone doesn't have the same opportunity in, in the sport. It's just the way it is. There's teams out there that are spending hand and fist over the amount that they get in from sponsorship. There's teams like ours and a lot of others that operate on whatever they can get in the, in the door. There's teams that have had their engines for 10 or 15 years and teams that are developing new ones. So it's, it's you know, it's very difficult from that point of view to compare our team to the others. And it's the same with Scott. He's in a different situation to other drivers as well, starting fresh this year and, and so on. So 
um, you can't just get to the end of the year and go, the champion did the best job. I mean, I've done, I've won races and I've done a better driving job when I finished 15th at times. So it's, it's always very difficult to, to say based off um, just the end result where, what, you know, what, what sort of effort you put in and what sort of, um, I guess, situation that you're in as a, as a team. So it, all that mumbo-jumbo, what, is, what does it all mean? Well, it means at the end of the year, if we get to a point where we're competitive, we've done a good job, but we're coming from a lower base, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Yeah, right. And Scott, joining uh, Mobile One HSV, um, you have a role outside just the race team on a day-to-day? You... Uh, no, I don't do any of the, the track days with the guys. Um, obviously, we're, we're ambassadors for the brand. Um, so anytime you know we we have an opportunity to go into any dealerships or things like that, we do that same as you do with other manufacturers when they support the team. So yeah, you know, I think that that Walkinshaw is really bringing the HSV brand back into the team now and, and trying to get the drivers more involved than we have been in the past with the HSV brand. And um, you know, for for me, you know, we had the first taste of Clipsal with popping into one of the HSV dealerships. So. Uh, week to week, day to day, not not uh, overly active. But any time we get an opportunity on a race weekend or an appearance comes up, then we're in the the, the shops, you know, seeing the, the employees of HSV. Um, one thing I was going to ask about you, Rick, um, you've got a role in Channel Ten, particularly at the big events, the uh, uh, Adelaide, the uh, Bathurst, and those ones. Does that um, add to the team? Does it? Does you know having that, or is it just coverage that you're looking to maximise? Yeah, it's certainly very, very beneficial for our, our business partners, obviously. But for me, it's it's also a real pleasure and something different. I've been in it full time in supercars for fifteen or sixteen years or whatever it is now. And as much as my focus is still on the driving, it's great to have you know a new talent in front of you. And that's been one that's been great. That the Ten Sport team are very passionate about what they do. They run a very tidy show, and that makes it very easy for me to to um, contribute a couple of minutes, you know, three or four times a day during the telecast of the six rounds that they have. So it's not it's not a huge tax on my my um time, I guess, but it's um certainly something that I quite enjoy. In, ca- in fact, uh, Tony, Rick has actually been nominated for a media award as part of uh the work he was doing with Croc Media years ago on um uh, <laughs> what was the show? Sorry, I have just had a metal bike racing line or Well, actually it's been, it's been a few years and I haven't turned back. <laughs> and, and even thought about that, but yeah, I had, had a radio show for three years in the city. It was a good chance to go in and, and get a meal at a nice place. I live forty five minutes from the city, so that um, was always a good chance to go in and talk garbage for forty five minutes and then eat at a nice restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll make sure that I come along to the media awards just for the chance that you could be sitting up and making an acceptance speech, Frederick. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Rick, you've just announced the co-driver lineup. How do you choose a co-driver? As a, as, a, as a driver and an owner, I guess you've got two hats that you're trying to wear at the same time. Uh, how do you, how do you, look, one way you, you want someone to go and do the best job for you, and that's, you know, that's a bit of a criteria there is obviously their outright pace, the risks that they'll take and, what, and where they're at in their career. You know, a guy that's, that's done a few years and hasn't found a full-time drive sometimes can be very good, but can be a big risk as well because they've got something to prove. So I think we've been through, you know, like anyone, a large number of co-drivers over the years and coming, um, finally coming together with David Wall, I think something they're quite excited about. We've, we've tried to work together for the last couple of years and haven't been able to for one reason or another. So to have him, um, he's actually something that we're quite excited about. He's, he's very been very good to work with so far and his height and um, 
everything else is very similar. And the job he did last year at the Enduros was was um, you know driving driving a car that got way better results than what we did. He got a podium at both days at Gold Coast and stuff like that. So he's clearly capable of it, and it'll bring I guess a fresh opinion to our cars as well because. We um, get set in our ways as a driver, so having someone new come in and say, hey, you know, your steering's too heavy or too light or your throttle throws much longer than what I've had in the past or, hey, you know, think about this with your car, your engine's great, your gear shifts aren't, whatever it might be, it's always good to have someone bring a new, fresh, a fresh uh, approach as well. Rick, actually, one thing I wanted to ask you about was you hold the uh, qualifying record down at Simmons. Um, it is one of those beautifully simple tracks that you've got to get every corner right on. What was it in 09 that you know that you, you stood out then? You, you got pole and, and that was it and set the record, which hasn't been broken in you know seven eight years. Do we get pole? Or was it the race record? I don't even remember. It's too long ago, but that was no, the first year of the qualifying record. Okay, that was the first year of the super soft, I think, and we had a car that. Um, Managed to extract, uh, had a fair bit of horsepower, and also managed to extract a good time out of that that sort of new compound to the sport. So it's a little bit different now. It's going to be quite difficult. Especially you got to find a little bit of space on the tracks when everyone goes um, out in like synchronised swimming almost, as everyone needs pit lane now. So when you've got a lap that's so short and you're finishing twice cars on there there's not a lot of space so getting a clean lap's important a bit of a toes now critical because a tent up the back straight could make six to ten spots on the good now so trying not to get held up by anyone but get a bit of a toe phased and ready to go and do an exceptional job of those three critical corners there it's tough so it's going to largely come down to um who manages to sneak all those things in on the one lap and you could have some good guys who are a little bit further back because they didn't manage that so um, yeah, back then it was a little different, but certainly now that's what it's going to take to to go fast. And with the tyres we've got, that record would likely be gone this weekend. Mm. Yeah, God, how do you get over 2013 every time you go back there? I know everyone keeps asking you about it, but uh, it, it must be hard going into that first turn or second turn, as it's called, each year. Yeah, it's. Um, well, I mean, it's annoying always seeing it because everyone you know posts it and shares and stuff going into the event. For any driver, those accidents happen, and, and obviously with a mechanical failure, and it's a rare occurrence. So, uh, you know, we're obviously as drivers, you're prepared for that, that to happen. That can happen at any point, but you don't really think about it. The only time you think about it is when I get tagged in it or something on Twitter, and I usually watch it because it's a good laugh seeing that guy in the hoodie disappear up the hill before I've even got to the wall. <laughs> but the actual accident itself, um, you know, just, I mean, you forget about it. We've all had a bunch of crashes, whether it's from go-karts or... Well, that's what we're doing now, um, and it's part of the game. So, uh, yeah, it's not really, I'll tell you what, when I roll out at you know, practice one, it's not going to be on my mind at all. <laughs> all right, well, I really would like to thank, or we would like to thank uh, Rick and Scott for a wonderful chat with us and giving us an insight into the world of a supercar driver heading for Simmons. We look forward to uh, hearing uh, and watching how that goes. I don't live in the land of uh, Fox TV, so I'll be just watching their late-night uh, highlights. But for those who do, sit back and enjoy it. Have a great weekend. Have good success. And uh, look forward to uh, talking sometime in the future. Thanks, guys. Good chat. Thanks a lot. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, fascinating insight into the world of 
create supercars and, in fact, just supercars. And after the break, we'll come back with our final thoughts. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. And, you know, every, every year I see Jackie Stewart at the Grand Prix and I just remind myself... Of, of his part in, in starting the, the path to safer cars. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Jack Brabham certainly left his mark not only on Australian motorsport but motorsport all around the world. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth and you're listening to Inside Supercars. And Craig, I mean, after what's been a quite sort of few days after the Grand Prix, we're now getting ready for round two of the Australian Supercars, Virgin Australia Supercars Championship. It should be a fantastic weekend, but one of the interesting developments has been the way in which new racetracks has become on the subject. From 1997, when they opened Queensland Raceway, which that very first weekend was a total debacle, <laughs> it built itself to be a very handy track. But now with talk of tracks... Well underway at Tail and Bend, possibly one at Townsville, certainly one at Bendigo. There's talk now and, and plans underway for a Newcastle permanent track north of the city. As well now that just released today, plans and preliminaries on uh, a Bathurst second track. It really will be a fascinating time and wonderful time for young drivers to develop their lines, their apexes and all the things they need to learn that they don't get on street circuits. Do you think, Tony, that people have worked out that you can make a a good dollar off a permanent racing circuit? Because, let's face it, they're not being built to hold one supercar meeting a year. Now is the time that people have worked out that there's a lot you can do on a motor racing venue as well as uh, having race meetings on weekends. Well, I, I think it's, it's two things. One, of course, is the, the driving courses that so many, including the police and all the car manufacturers and all importers, and as it is now, having been involved in the very first driver safety courses back in the uh, 1980s with uh, Volvo, it's fascinating to see in ways the take-up on these things. And all these racetracks, or racetracks, driver tracks, of course, can be filled all year without having a single race car on them because there's such a need for them. Mm. Yeah, there is. And uh, club days, too, are, are so popular. People, Subaru owners, Ferrari owners, Porsche owners, all hiring the track just so they can go out there and uh, experience what their cars are capable of doing. Well, that's the interesting thing because it made me well aware when I was in America a couple of years ago at a racetrack where there were 40 Cosworth engine Formula One cars as well as six or eight Ferraris. It made me aware of the fact there's never been as many racing cars in the world. All those old cars from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, all being renovated, restored and loved. And there's more money being spent on them. Lots more people working in that industry, motorating restoration. And it's fantastic to see because they're the same people then can you use their other time when they're not working on those cars to be working on the current race cars. It's just a terrific time for the growth of the motor racing industry. Yeah, it is. It's great to see. And uh, they're going to be a valuable resource for each of those different areas. And, uh, well, it, it, it might have taken 20 years, Tony, but at least now they're finally getting done. 
It is indeed. And the great thing is also that they're spread around the countryside. You know, South Australia, Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland. I mean, that is terrific to see that happen because that's the important thing. You don't want them all centralised. I mean, Victoria for a long time has had not a glut, but certainly a good supply with Winton, Phillip Island, Sandown, actually. It's not all the time, but there is a lot of driver training done there as well as Phillip Island. And it is now great to see that other states will be getting it. I mean, I know in New South Wales and Sydney that there is a great demand to try and get onto Sydney Motorsport Park. Mm, indeed. And Wakefield Park, because of it, is the beneficiary who get a lot of the spillover there because uh, people are willing to make that run down the highway to get to Wakefield Park so they can get out into an enclosed, controlled environment and really give their cars a run. Well, once again, we can look forward optimistically to motorsport industry, motorsport, the sport itself. And, Craig, your final thought for this week? My final thought is uh, back to Tassie once again, uh, Tony, and the first time we see the Dunlop Super 2 cars in action down there on the Apple Isle, I think the racing is going to be great. This is a very good year. Um, with some really high-quality drivers who are pressing to try and go on to the main game, and we're going to see them, excitingly enough, in a number of main game races, as we discussed last week with the Wildcars. So let's hope we have as exciting racing as we had at Clipsal, because uh, four races over the course of the weekend, uh, Friday races as well, it's going to be great, and uh, I'm all for having more Dunlop Super 2 events, uh, obviously there's a cost involved and that's what the competitors need to work out is what the optimum number of events are. But at the moment, everyone's telling me that they've got it right in Super 2 land. So uh, I'm sure Dunlop's happy with their coverage and we're going to see some great racing this weekend. And in fact, it will be interesting to see those young drivers and not so young drivers in, in Super 2s who have affiliations with the main game because I think they're going to be the ones that have a real benefit in being able to learn from their senior partners as to the fastest way around Simmons Plains. Well, that's this week's show. Next weekend, of course, coming up, Simmons Plains. We'll look forward to doing a postscript and looking back on what happened and what didn't succeed there. So thanks, Craig. Thanks, listeners. Good night. Good night. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device, search Inside Supercars.